Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You know, we spend a lot of time during Lent learning about the suffering and death of Jesus for our sins. But do we know as much about the words of Christ from the cross? That's our topic today on our Family Shield Easter special. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. My guest is Reverend John Kane, pastor of Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas, and co-host of Evangelical Life Ministries radio program. Welcome, Reverend Kane. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Kay. It's good to be with you. It's always a busy time, the Holy Week, and I'm sure you've been busy. In fact, I think you told me uh, that you had a couple funerals this week, huh? Right, right. But, uh, you know, that's in a way that's a, a great privilege for the pastor to be involved with people at the at the time of death. It's, uh, it's a very tender time for the families, but also it's a wondrous time when the faith shines brightly with all its promise. You're so right. Tell our listeners about your family, John. Well, uh, my wife, Kathy, and I have been married since 1990, and we have a 12-year-old son, and uh, that's our family. We've been here in Houston for almost 19 years at Gethsemane and enjoy working with the Lord's people here. That's wonderful. Well, um, it was my idea to talk about the words of Christ from the cross, and it happened because I heard on radio, another radio station, a question, and it was actually the first words that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's from Luke 23, 34. Now, this person on radio said that he wasn't really forgiving anybody. <laughs> I thought, well, that's really strange. If Jesus asked for the Father to forgive someone, I thought, think they're forgiven. But so let me ask you that. Who was ask, Who was Jesus asking forgiveness for? And um, tell us a little bit more about that verse and what it might mean for us. Well, first, let me say, in many experiences with people who are dying, it's oftentimes a time of healing for family relationships. I was uh, at a bedside when uh, family members who were estranged were, uh, were reunited right before the end. And uh, what a tremendous opportunity that is to, to mend fences when the things that are most important rise to the surface. And uh, oftentimes there's a lot of wishing that uh, they had patched things up earlier. Mm. For, for Jesus, his purpose, Scripture tells us in coming, was not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so that was uh, it's Jesus' purpose to try and bring people back to the Father. You know, we can't do that ourselves. We can't uh, make ourselves perfect and holy. Uh, so that was exactly Jesus' mission, is to be perfect and holy for us and be our Savior and earn our place for us to be with the Father. So in that regard, Jesus certainly had plenty of people that needed forgiveness, those who were active in his condemnation and even crucifixion. But there were also those, all of his followers, who uh, who abandoned him at the last moment. Um, uh, but when you look at it, all of us are in need of forgiveness. Mm. So this is a perfectly within Jesus' mission, is to, to bring forgiveness and restoration of, of the relationship between God, our Creator, 
and and us as his rebellious creation. You bet. And so he could have even been talking about us. He could have been. Uh, he could have been because all of us had a part in Jesus dying on the cross because he suffered for all of our sins, your sins and mine. So you know, it, it's uh, against human nature nature to think that we're guilty, but uh, when we really look at it, none of us is as perfect as God, and so we all need the forgiveness that Jesus alone offers. We really do, yes. We need to remember that he was thinking of us and all of those people that had turned aside um, when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So the second word from the cross, uh, from Luke 23, 43, is when Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Who is Jesus talking to, and why are these words so important? Well, he was speaking to a thief who was hanging on the cross next to him, who uh, seemingly had a deathbed confession of of faith. We don't believe that he was baptized. We don't know that he was a follower of Jesus. When we look at all of the gospel accounts together, uh, you know, some places that say both of the uh, thieves were railing against Jesus. Uh, but here this one says, uh, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he acknowledges that Jesus was guiltless. Um, and Jesus says these words, today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, those those are very powerful words, words of, of promise. If even someone um, who comes to faith at the very last moment can have the promise of eternal life, uh, how encouraging that is for us. Also, he says, I say to you, comma, today you'll be with me in paradise. There have been certain groups as well as some Christian denominations that have tried to make... Um, our arrival at paradise uh, way down the road. Mm. But th- that, um, that just doesn't ring true with, with Scripture. You know, in, in uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 21, the Apostle Paul is uh, musing whether it would be better to go and be with the Lord or to stay active with the ministry here on earth. And there's no, no sense of a delay, no, no waiting for for Judgment Day, for the, the soul to go to be with the Lord. And so we as, we as uh, Lutherans look at it this way, that the soul goes to be with the Lord immediately upon our death. And then down the road it gets even better when on, uh, on Judgment Day that uh, we will be fitted with a resurrection body. I love that, and and I think a lot of times people are a little confused about that. But that verse I read right at the beginning when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Our souls don't die. That's right. Our bodies do. Right. Right. And so the the part that uh, breaks down and ages and uh, has difficulties, that part is going to get the upgrade. <laughs> but uh, also, you know, in, in uh, the 23rd Psalm, where uh, King David wrote that psalm about God as our leader and protector, and uh, he he frankly says, and he he will restore my soul, mm-hmm. and so that uh, that restoration that uh, comes first with our soul being with the Lord, which uh, is a good thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and on down the road we we get the further improvement of um, 
a resurrection body, it seems as though our Lord does not want us to go through eternity as disembodied spirits, but he created us with bodies to experience uh, the fullness of life with him, and uh, we will we will get an upgrade at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Because without that body, Jesus' body wouldn't have had to be resurrected, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Very good. It was his intent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. His soul... Um, lived on just like ours did, but but the resurrection is his body was raised from the dead. Uh, and uh, so that, that's an interesting thought. Well, let's go move on. Uh, another verse, this one is from the Gospel of John, John 19, 26 and 27, where Jesus said to his mother, woman, this is your son. And then he said to the disciple, this is your mother. Tell us what's going on in those verses, and why was Jesus uh, saying this to his mother? Yeah, the first words there, a woman, it it sounds a little bit cold to our ears. Uh, Maybe it could be translated um, as dear woman, Mm. but it's... um, it, it, uh, He was speaking to his mother at the foot of his uh, own cross, and here he is more concerned about the welfare of his mother, uh, seemingly, than his own uh, welfare at that moment as he lay dying on the cross. Um, so he is providing for Mary, uh, his mother, that uh, she would be taken into the home of, of his disciple John. John... Uh, when we look at the, the gospel, um, the gospels say that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he loved him with a, um, a self-sacrificing love. Uh, John, uh, we know from his writings, was just very, very humble. Uh, he would uh, not put himself forward. <laughs> Normally, Peter would do that. Oh, yeah, that was Peter, right? <laughs> but, uh, but John was uh, this uh, humble, genuine, uh, very much... Uh, lovable person, and he was the one that uh, uh, Mary would would go to spend the end of her days with. Mm-hmm. Now, um, sometimes people say uh, there, there's. A, I know a lot of controversy in Scripture whether Jesus had brothers and sisters, um, uh, whether they were just uh, Joseph's children because maybe he was older than Mary. Um, does this verse clarify that? I mean, uh, Jesus puts his mother into the care of his beloved uh, disciple, John. In any way, does that clarify that? I, I was reading some information related to that and um, just wondered. I know there's lots of different uh, discussions about that. There are different verses, but just any thoughts related to that? Well, my, my thought is that it does not answer the question of Jesus uh, having other brothers and sisters. I think that Scripture is... Uh, pretty clear. That, that seems to be the clear implication that um, uh, Jesus uh, had brothers and sisters, and that. Uh, but but we have to recall that Jesus is God, who's taken human flesh into the eternal Trinity, and uh, Jesus has an ability to look into the future, which which we don't. Uh, he was sinless. His uh, his mind worked better than uh, mine does, even on its best day. <laughs> so. <laughs> He was able to uh, look to the future and and made a uh, a decision as to what would be best for his mother. I do not think that it's a reflection uh, on uh, 
on Jesus' brothers or sisters. Well, and, and to some extent, I, I kind of agree, but I know there's dis- difference of uh, agreement on that topic. Uh, but at that point, his brothers and sisters were probably not believers in him, uh, whereas later on, I think some people think that, uh, which, is it Jude? Which which of the books? Yeah, James and Jude. James and Jude, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, James uh, was, uh, as I recall, the, uh, the head over the Jerusalem Council that decided uh, disagreement between Peter and Paul. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Jesus, we would say half-brother, born of uh, Mary and Joseph, not born of the Holy Spirit, right, right. Uh, as in Jesus' case. So uh, the general and this tends to be a, a Protestant view. Mm-hmm. Uh, the general view is that these are uh, Jesus' younger uh, half-brothers, half-sisters. Ah, uh, okay. And what I was reading obviously had been from the Roman Catholic information. So, uh, but anyway, that's good. I'm a, we're, I have a, a few announcements I want to make, and then we'll go back and continue talking about uh, some of the other words of Christ from the cross. Each week, Family Shield offers a booklet or resource to our listeners. This week, we're offering the booklet, reasons to believe. To receive it at no charge, email us at witness to family at gmail.com or call our response center toll-free 1-877-250-8416. If you're a Thrivent Financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. Go to their website at www.thrivent.com slash thriventchoice or call them at 1-800-847-4836. Family Shield is a listener-supported radio ministry aired on 52 stations around the country. Our mission is to educate and equip families to know Christ and grow in his word. Keep us in your prayers and send letters, comments, or gifts to Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. I want to go back to my guest, Reverend John Kane. He is the pastor of Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Houston, and he's also the co-host of Evangelical Life Ministries, which is a radio ministry uh, aired there and around the country as well. So uh, let's go back to our discussion, and the next verse is uh, from Matthew twenty-seven forty-six and Mark fifteen thirty-four, when Jesus says, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" What does this verse mean? Why did the Father forsake Jesus as He suffered on the cross? I think the Apostle Paul in a way, described this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so Jesus hanging on the cross uh, became like the lightning rod for the payment of sin. So even though Jesus lived a sinless life, he was treated as though he was the very embodiment of sin. So if you see... uh, uh, the description, God is love, well, if God the Father is love, and Jesus now becomes the embodiment of sin, you can't have that mixture of, of perfection and, and uh, anti-God uh, imperfection. And so we see, I think, this, this pulling away of God the Father so that um, uh, Jesus might be fully the payment for our sins. I think also this... Uh, 
verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think that is um, also a um, first line of a um, psalm, Psalm mm, 1, yes, or 22. So it's a prophecy? It's Yeah, it's a prophecy ah. also. Okay, very good. So the Father had to allow Jesus to suffer and die for our sins. Right. Yes. If God in his righteous judgment um, has, has said that um, you know, all human flesh is sinful, uh, how, how are you going to break that judgment except with the death of human flesh, but in this case connected to God? Mm-hmm. And so strangely enough, powerfully enough, we have not only the death of human flesh, but in a way the death of God as what I like to call the great cosmic reset mm-hmm. button mm-hmm. of our relationship. You bet. And First Peter 2 says, He himself bore our sins in his body upon the cross, so that free from sin we might live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Um, an, another great verse that uh, helps us understand the importance of Jesus' suffering and dying on the cross. You know, there's so many people today Reverend Kane, that say, oh, God will just forgive us. You know, it wasn't a simple thing for God to forgive us. The Father had to send his only begotten Son to take our place. It wasn't simple. Right. And even though it comes to us as a gift, uh, it came to, uh, to us costing Jesus everything. Absolutely. Yes. Well, the next verse I have is from the uh, John nineteen twenty eight when Jesus... Uh, says, I thirst. Now, Jesus was both true God and true man at the same time, so he was thirsty, uh, showing his humanness. But what else does that verse mean? And uh, just unpack that for us. Well, he, um, he, he was human flesh, um, and he uh, um, did experience things like uh, tiredness and, uh, in this case, thirst and pain. And so, it's not as if um, uh, it, it wasn't both divine and human uh, on, on the cross. It, it was both. And so uh, Jesus truly suffered, but he, more than that, he, he also truly lived. He, he truly experienced uh, temptations, uh, which he uh, did not succumb to, as, as humans do, but uh, he... he um, had the full experience of, of human life. And in that regard, he, um, he is the unique bridge between uh, God the Father and, and his creation, and uniquely suited to, uh, to relate to us and relate to the Father. Mm-hmm. Good, good. I, I think our time's going to start winding down, so I want to make sure we get through this. Uh, the next is from John 19, and it says, They put a sponge soaked in wine on a uh, hyssop sprig and put it into his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and handed over the Spirit. Now, I didn't look up these verses. I might have, I just kind of uh, took them the way I found them. Uh, But talk a little bit about that. I think sometimes people just kind of skip over the fact that the sponge had wine in it, and uh, uh, in his words, it is finished. That has a lot of meaning. Yeah, the um, uh, 
the comment I thirst if we uh, I'll just reference to our readers Psalm uh, 6921 and Psalm 2215 as the the prophetic statement that uh, these things would happen uh, to mm. fulfill the scriptures. Uh, there's over uh, I've, I've seen a, a list of over 300 of these uh, Old Testament prophecies um, written hundreds to thousands of years before their events unfolding in Jesus' life, and so it's uh, amazing the detail mm -hmm. that we find there, talking about how Jesus would uh, come to be uh, our uh, our Savior and what he would experience. Okay. But uh, also, Jesus, with his own words, said, uh, uh, no one takes my life from me. Mm -hmm. I uh, lay it down, and I also have the authority to take it back up again. And so with, with Jesus' words, uh, it is finished, uh, we we see this something of a um, uh, cry of victory. Mm. You know, this uh, this is uh, uh, he scored the goal. <laughs> More than that, he uh, he earned for us our salvation. Yeah. And so, with these words, he um, he is suffering. And so, if if by his um, being forsaken by God, we could we could call that his experience of hell. Uh, of suffering, because hell, uh, a definition of hell is separation from mm -hmm, God. Mm -hmm. But now with this, when he says, it is finished, uh, his separation from God is uh, is ending. Uh -huh. Neat. Yeah, I know a lot of times people don't get this, it is finished, because um, his, his work that he had come to do, the suffering and uh, soon death, to take away our sins was just about done. So I love that you said it's a victory cry. I'd never thought about it that way. That's cool. Well, um, that's why many of us have a, let's say, an empty cross, not not a crucifix. Right. Is because He's gone. Jesus He's is not no there longer anymore. on the cross. Right. He is no longer suffering. He right. has triumphed. He has earned our salvation completely for us. Uh, he has beaten sin, death, and the devil. He's no longer on the cross. Yeah. Awesome. It's an empty cross because he's risen. You bet. You bet. So the, the seventh word, uh, and I think there's, uh, you know, I'm, I may be wrong, but I always hear that he, he spoke seven times from the cross. Jesus cried in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That's from Luke 23, 46. Right. And is that the moment of his death? Yeah. And so um, trust in his heavenly Father, um, He's uh, committing his uh, spirit into the Father's hands, and so there's no longer any um, uh, separation, so to speak. Um, uh, no longer is Jesus um, uh, away from the Father, uh, not forsaken. And so here is uh, the, the completed picture, picture with his spirit, and uh, we will will see the the full celebration with his body on Easter, mm -hmm. as he um, uh, rises physically, bodily from the dead, and and is seen over the next forty days mm -hmm. by all the people who knew him before, including more than five hundred people at one time. Right, so right. Jesus is more than just uh, words; he's words and action, yeah. and uh, allows the people who knew him. To, uh, to see him and become convinced. Well, at that moment, uh, the the script—I don't have the verse—but the temporal temple curtain 
tour at the moment of his death. What does that symbolize? Because that was no small little curtain. It wasn't a little sheer. If you look back in the Old Testament, it was a big, heavy curtain. What does that symbolize for us? In the Old Testament, they had the the dwelling of God was in the Holy of Holies, uh, the the place where uh, you you might imagine uh, the the Ark of the Covenant, which held the Ten Commandments, that uh, over that place there were two angels kind of looking down on what was known as the mercy seat where the, the high priest would sprinkle blood once a year on that uh, mercy seat. And there uh, God was, was set to meet with his people or the representative of the, of the people, the high priest. Well, no one could go back there, and only the high priest could go back there once a year. And I read one time that the high priest had a... Uh, a rope tied around him in case he mm. fainted or died back there, that they could, the <laughs> other people, other priests could pull him out. I've heard that, um, too. There was such a fearful thing to go and, and deal with God. But now the dwelling of God is with his people. He, he's not dwelling in one geographic location. Uh, we, we have the assurance that uh, God comes and makes his home in our hearts. Uh, he is... Uh, he is everywhere, and uh, we can lift up our prayers to him and know that, that he hears us. And through the blood of Jesus, the one once-for-all-time perfect sacrifice of God in human flesh, we have uh, everything that we need to approach God, not as his creation, not as mere creatures, but to uh, approach him now as he calls us his children. You bet. Now we have less than two minutes left. Just any other quick closing thoughts about uh, the rest of the story? Well, the rest of the story is one that you will hear only told by Christians, and that is that we have our salvation as a gift, a gift from God. There's uh, more than eight locations in the New Testament that describe it as a gift, and it's not something that we can earn. You cannot earn your way up the ladder. Uh, Jesus had to come down the ladder, so to speak, uh, being born into human flesh and coming here to this world to be our Savior and to, to be for us the very heart of God and to give to each one of us the assurance of our place in eternity. Sins forgiven already, uh, loved by God and gifted by Him to do good works here on earth. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. My guest again has been Reverend John Cain. We've been talking about, most of the time, the the, uh, words of Jesus from the cross. It's been very interesting to look at. And um, we have a little uh, resurrection quiz that we share that has questions, and I even have the answers. If you want it, uh, email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Uh, just a lot of different parts of those 40 days after the resurrection and the people that saw Jesus. Again, this is Kay Meyer uh, with Family Shield. And uh, if you want to learn more about Family Shield Ministries, go to our website at www.familyshieldministries.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com 
or Wright Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230-015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield.